How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode number 94 of Master My Garden Podcast. Now, this week's episode, we're going back to vegetable growing, and I'm joined by Dermot Carey from Ballon Carey Farm. And now, Dermot has a long history in growing vegetables. He's a vegetable growing consultant, grows his own vegetables on his own farm, and consults with, I suppose, some restaurants and country houses around the country on farm to fork strategies. So, a great depth of knowledge and uh, I suppose, a long history in, in growing vegetables in Ireland. So, Dermot, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, as I say, there's lots to talk about here and there's lots of avenues we can go. But I suppose before we get into that, like you're, I suppose, a vegetable growing es- expert as such, and you specialize in sort of farm to fork strategies for country houses and quality restaurants and so on. But tell us a little bit about how you got into vegetable growing and and sort of the the track that has taken you from from getting involved in it to where you are today. Well, it, it, how it all started, I grew up on a vegetable farm, um, 100 acres of uh, veg in, in Clondalkin. And my fa- father supplied the Dublin Fruit and Veg Market, um, where, where he met my mother and they married. She had her own business. She was working for her mother. Uh, they had they had a, a cabbage supply business. Um, Very good. And at the time, was supplying shops, shops mainly. There was a few. Um, there was there, there there was there was a few canteens like uh, CIE Inchcore Works had their own catering kitchen, but mainly shops at the time. There was very few restaurants. Um, well, there was very few restaurants in Dublin. There was hotels doing food. Yeah, the whole restaurant scene seemed to take off in, from the nineteen eighties onwards. Yeah, and this this was in Clondalkin, so obviously Clondalkin is very built up now. A uh, hundred acres of vegetables in Clondalkin at that time must have been uh, well. It was it, it was the perfect location anyway, close to the city, close to the population. But uh, it certainly wasn't common in in the the Dublin area, that close to the Dublin area, I guess, to have a hundred acre vegetable farm. Yeah, no, it, it was. Um there was a there was a couple of farms in the area. There was one other grower uh, close by, but we the farm was between the the Grand Canal and the the main Dublin Cork railway line. Very good soil. Uh, it was a heavier clay soil than than I have here in um, outside of Tyne, County Kildare. And uh, as you were saying, it was very close to the farm was very close to Dublin. Um, like into the market in like 20 25 minutes yeah so into into smithfield no um we didn't no we didn't supply smithfield square uh it was it was mainly the 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 fruit and veg market there on Aaron key oh yeah yeah uh, just off just off cable street but very early mornings um like like my mother used to be at five in the morning and she she'd head in for just before six yeah and the the farmers would be coming in with their tractors and trailers and you know Bedford lorries and and um, they they would drop their produce down on the these common banks and stands yeah and then the 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 shopkeepers would arrive in from from around seven seven o'clock onwards yeah so yeah, basically it, it finished it was tough life yeah business finished around oh god eleven o'clock one o'clock it was kind of uh, the afternoons were quiet. Yeah. 
Yeah, was it, 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 it like it's? I suppose people don't realize it, and, and I know it has become more mechanized over the years. But like uh, any anyone that was growing vegetables at those times, you were heading into the market at you know, as you said, up at half four or five into the market straight away. It was it was it's tough going, and then get get back and do all the growing do, during the day. Like so, it wasn't it wasn't easy. It's not an yeah, easy. It, it was a tough life, you see. And and what what my dad did, like there was a there was actually eleven of them in the family. And what, he, like, like my dad would usually, he'd do the runs into the market then, and, and my other uncle, Ben, he used to stay on the farm to actually do the growing. Yeah. Because if the, it was very difficult for the same person to yeah, be driving, sure. driving, pulling, pulling the cabbage. The cabbage was actually literally pulled out of the ground, roots and all, and was tied in bundles, bundles of either six or 12. Right. And with the with the roots facing inwards, with the stalks and roots facing inwards, and so it was just tied together with bundles of twine. But he found that if if um, if one brother did the harvesting and dro- dro- drove the cabbage into the market and sold it, and then the other brother stayed at home actually growing the produce, but because he he maintained it, the same same person uh, tr- tried to do both, the produce usually suffered. Right. Uh, you 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 come back for lunchtime, I'm sure you'd be. <laughs> if you have to do the day, yeah, you'd be fit for bed. Yeah. You, you'd be either go to bed for a couple of hours and go back up, or go go to bed for at least yeah, an hour yeah. for a siesta. But that's kind of where you sort of were introduced to it. Obviously, it was it was it was there from the very very start. Um, and I guess what you're doing now is vegetable grown, but it's how would I put it? It's at it's at a it seems to be at a nicer pace. So you're growing now in a, in a different way. It's not that mass production um, pushing stuff in. You're you're more direct with the with the end consumer, I guess. Um, it seems to be a nicer way of growing, and I know there's a lot of sort of an insurgence of that through country markets and so on. You know where you're you're interfacing with the with the general public a bit. I know what you mean. Yeah, like the. Um like I like as I say, I, I work with a lot of um, restaurants, and we're growing the produce yeah. on site. Um, and I've worked with. I'm doing more consultancy type work now, but I'm working from, like I have worked with, um, large country houses, from with restaurants or cafes or from, like Glen Castle down in, down on the Kerry Limerick border, mainly up along the western seaboard. And. Right up along, up to Harry's up in the Inishon Peninsula in wow. Donegal. Yes. So I've done a lot of the major wall gardens uh, from up, all up along the western seaboard. Um, not so much in the middle of the country, down a couple on the east side of the country here. So I still, I, I, still, I still think it's been down to down to Dealers Restaurant. Uh, the, the, they have the restaurant in Galway, but the farm is at Mike Cullen. Uh, I pop down the odd time, and then I, I've been known to head up to Billy Castle there in Ballina. Yeah. Uh, just on the outskirts of Ballina. Um, they have quite a nice setup. And um, so. And and what's the process? The, so suppose, if you if you if you're sort of coming into a, a country house, or you're coming into like one that I'm I'm quite familiar with is the Green Barn outside of it, um, outside of a tie, uh, on Burton House. And I know you're you're involved heavily there. 
so what's the process? So if somebody, you know, restaurant comes to you and they say, listen, we, we want to grow our own projects. What, what's the, the process that you go through if they're starting from, from scratch? I just go and interview the chef and find out the, the reasons yeah. why uh, they want to, they wish to grow it rather than yeah. buying it in. And typically those, so, those reasons are, are freshness, flexibility, um, quality, I guess. Yeah, the, the, the reasons like it's um, lack of flavor in, in the bottom produce or lack of availability of what they really like. Yeah. And then it's usually lack of availability and then it's the... So they like, they like, secondly, yeah. they like a fresher, fresher product. And in terms of the, the growing system then, what, what, what do you, what system are you, like, obviously no dig is becoming hugely popular, but um, you, you don't seem to follow that system, am I correct in saying? No, well, if it can be upscaled, if it can be upscaled um, with, with, with the minimum of labor, I, I would go along with it, but um, yeah. At the moment, see my background, John, is from field scale. Yeah. Uh, as I say, field scale vegetables with tractors and machinery and all of that. So I use the same method when I go into a when when I go into a wall garden. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't use a, a large four wheel tractor, but I use a two wheel tractor with yeah. a, a single sod bow rather than a, a four or five sod. So then you know I use single single push saw rather than a and a large four, 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 four drill stand hay. So I'm coming from, I'm not coming from a gardening perspective. I'm, I'm yeah, you're coming from a field, field, field production. Field scale. So I, I take the wall garden in as a, as the field. So yeah. I, it's not like, oh, I get a wider fork or a, a larger fork and dig faster and <laughs> we'll, we'll produce loads of vegetables and we'll, we'll, we'll be successful. I said, no, not necessarily you, you you more than likely burn yourself out. Uh, yeah. So it's very much geared as well on the end product. My like my focus is very much geared on the end, getting the produce into the kitchen, um, yeah. keeping the continuity of supply. Um, whereas some 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 growers, some gardeners, which is a term I I, I don't doesn't really refer to me. Um, they're very much focused on the process. Yeah, I'm very much focused on the end results. Maybe too much so, but then if you're very busy, then you tend to cut, you tend to cut corners. Yeah, well, I guess like that. That's I understand exactly what you're saying there, and and I guess that is the thing with a lot of gardeners. And this podcast sort of generally focuses on gardeners, but there's always something that they can learn here, and and I think that that point there is critical in that gardeners. And some of them are excellent at it. But for the most part, people who are growing a bit of veg, it's do very, very little through the months of January, February, maybe start thinking about it in March. Then they plant a load of stuff in, in April if the weather is right. They have a couple of gluts through the summer. And then by the time we get to this time of the year, they're kind of stopped. And whereas it's really possible um to have vegetables pretty much 12 months of the year if you get used to successional sowing and, and whatnot and that's essential obviously for a restaurant so that's what you're focusing on is that end quality product and continuity so to sort of bring it back for a gardener how how do you sort of guarantee that um succession for for a restaurant 
obviously you're growing in season is is critical anyway yeah well the like the one thing i find like people have um a growing plot and then they maybe too much emphasis on polytunnels um yeah certainly during the growing season in a way that they should be used more i feel for overwintering produce like yeah. like this time of year you could so well we all know about the asian the, the asian leaves like the mizunas and the rockets and the red and green mustards but you can also do overwintering spinach um it's probably going to be too late for carrots but overwintering spinach um cabbage york cabbage like sp- spring cabbage um like the like the tunnel could be used, and then it, well, early in the season it's gone a bit late now. Maybe uh, overwintering broccoli. Uh, so there's a lot of crops like tor- um, like these Tokyo turnips, and you could do overwintering onions. There's a, a lot. So during the hungry gap of say April May, you have a lot of produce coming out of your polytunnel, as opposed to maybe in August where you have a lot of produce coming out of your vegetable garden but you also have a lot of produce coming out of your tunnel as well and you, you have gluts so to yeah. spread it out evenly over the course of 12 months um i like the idea of using the polytunnel for a lot of overwintering and um, yeah def- bridging the gap. definitely that's something that could le- yeah gets left behind doesn't it yeah yeah because we like we all love growing tomatoes and but but the the the, the tomatoes is um, growing tomatoes is a very long growing season and it, they are quite labour intensive. Um, yeah. But and in Ireland, growing them in the polytunnel, if you saw them, say in towards the end of February, March, or that they're really a, they're really an autumn crop. Um, they oh well, they yeah they're really because... like towards the end of um, or middle of July into August, September, October, November. Okay, yeah. still harvesting tomatoes, a few here for the house mainly. Um, so we're still harvesting tomatoes, but the and they do tie up the tunnel for a long time. Um, the 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 um, the, the like the tomato, what tomatoes in particular, they they such a long growing season. So I I would say to people maybe consider leaving an area spare in the polytunnel and 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 using it for maybe overwintering onions and spinach and these other crops even yeah there's loads like and there's loads and you can do you can do that without a polytunnel as well just with a small bit of a small bit of covering outside um you know the likes of mazunas and so on yeah even the likes of the red russian kale like the cavalo nero even the common garden curly kale like i'm sure growers make more money out of them out of a polytunnel than the wood out of tomatoes you know <laughs> yeah probably yeah <laughs> well this is more so maybe going back two years ago when when Kale was very much on trend in, in smoothies and all, all of this, but it's still a very popular crop. Um, it went up, I believe, sales went up seven hundred percent. Well, from a very low base. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There. Um, the another very popular crop now is beetroot. Um, at the moment, presently, I'm selling more beetroot than I am carrots, which wow. is quite unusual. Um, the, just the standard red beetroot. So yeah, that's a, that's that's a, that's a, an unusual one now because like you would assume that you would sell carrots probably ten to one against beetroot, but it's it's a yeah that's yeah, a, an unusual it's, it's one. It's an unusual one now. I, I, people must be juicing them and they must be roasting them. That I just um, that's what I'm finding. Uh, obviously, it must be it's very nice beetroot. Um, a variety goes pa- Pablo. 
Oh, Pablo's brilliant, pa- pa- actually. Yeah. Pa- like Pablo is the one I grow, and I just ca- I just can't fault it. So I just I just have stuck with it. Um, yeah, it's a very the good one I, did I have grown. Years was the one called Boltardy. Yeah, um, I have that as well. That's decent as well. That's a that's a good ride. I've done that one for years and years, and then I switched to uh, I switched to uh, the variety Pablo. But as I say, I bought this farm here three years ago, and um, it's it's outside a tie here in County Kildare. And it's my second year growing, so I'm doing doing less traveling, and I'm, I'm spending less time on the road, and I'm, I'm spending more time on the home farm here. So. And you're produ- you're producing now and sending to, I know you you, you sell through certain shops, and we will talk about that later. But that's the that's the the system now is to sell directly through shops. Yeah, I'd like to sell sell direct. They. Like we, like my my dad was mainly sold into the wholesaler years ago. Then towards the end of his growing career, then he started going direct to shops. Um, yeah. So I'm I like go direct to shops, uh, or even go direct to the customer. But I had a, a, a farm gate stand there, uh, which were very successful during the COVID. So and also I'm doing quite unique. I'm doing very much Mediterranean inspired vegetables. Okay, um, so tell us about what you're growing yourself there on the farm. What I'm doing, I'm doing like Ro- Romanesco. Romanesco, well, I, I classify more as a cauliflower than a broccoli. Or a, a, yeah, it's kind of a, a cross Roman. between the two, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of a cross, but I think the shape and the flavor appears, in my mind, more towards broccoli than cauliflower. Um, but, yeah. you know, when you look it up, it's like it can be either. But So I do a lot of the Mediterranean-inspired um, torpedo red onions, uh, tender stem broccoli, uh, the shoggy, the different color beetroots, um, um, so, summer and winter squashes. Yeah, I saw you had a huge haul of, of squash coming in last week. Yeah, the crown prince, um, a couple of hundred of them crown prince. Um, but I'm just researching them and they, they need a bit of storage to improve the flavor. Okay. Whereas the delicata squash, the, it's a little stripy one. They can be used directly off the vine or shortly after. Yeah. So I'm doing. So you need you need to store it then for a month, and and that changes the flavor. Yeah, it gets a deeper deeper orange color and kind of dry a drier a drier stronger flavor. So I'm doing a lot of the like my dad. He was growing. He was big into sweet turnips. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons towards the end he grew sweet turnips because they were the only the only vegetables that weren't imported. Because every other vegetable, carrots, cabbage, cauliflowers, um, onions, all at certain times of the year were imported, you see. And then when you'd have yours, then you'd import in, you compete against the imports. And so the, the type of veg I'm growing is very, very different to the, the, the types of veg my dad was growing back in the... 60s, 70s, and into the early 80s. Like his, his big crops were uh, York cabbage, uh, carrots, parsnips, sweet turnips. And then he went really big into onions. But the same year he got into the onions, then um, they, they were being imported from Poland and he got a hard to compete with the Polish yeah. onions. That would have been back in the early 90s. Um, that would have been back in the 80s. Um, so he was growing very mainstream so, vegetables, whereas you're growing, well, some of them are. Yeah, I, I, it's very much a niche, a niche, a niche market. Um, it's very much a niche market, as I say. Um, as I say, the tender stem broccolis, the purple spouting broccolis. 
the um, you know the different kinds of squashes. The you, you know I I I generally don't grow weeds. I just grew a small amount for the farm gate sales. Um, I find cabbage very hard to sell. It's I'm more curly kale than cabbage. Yeah. Um, so it's a complete change, and the like the the restaurants are going for the, this Mediterranean, almost Italian inspired vegetables. Um, they and the general public seem to be following suit. You yeah. Know? The- and I think that was down to foreign travel initially and maybe better logistics, obviously better logistics for importation of produce. Um, you know, just roll on, roll off. Yeah. And I suppose like years ago, it, it was basically fairly mainstream, the vegetables, but now there's such an array and there's very few that we can't grow successfully here. So I suppose it stands to reason then that once the diet shifted away from sort of the mainstream stuff that the, you know, all the different salad leaves and the the different types of squashes and whatnot will come to the fore. And we can grow them all really easily, can't we? Yeah, they can be grown real, real easily here. And there's no doubt they, uh, like, they should be grown. Um, like I go, Chima the Rapa, you know, it's, a, it's, a very, it's quite rare in the south of Italy. And I grow the Cavallo Nero, you know, the Cavallo Nero kale, yeah. you know, and like a, like I met an Italian guy there over a year ago, and he says, uh, "This actually goes much better in Ireland than it does back home. We we grow it up in the mountains in Italy because of the the, the climate is cooler." But, and it uh, grows better it, here, it's, even it's though it's yeah, it's, it's... It, it, it grows better here, but it's way more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, "Back home, I get a big get a big uh, uh, black bag of it, a big refuge style bag of it for 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 a euro." Um, here you get a little, you get a little bunch for two euros. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it's really interesting because it, the climate here really suits the, a lot of the brassicas, yeah. as a lot as a lot of the gardeners, um, uh, like a lot of your listeners would would, would know that the cauliflowers, the cabbages, the swedes, the a lot of the kales. So there's um, like they should be obviously grown in Ireland rather than um, a lot of these can be imported. Yeah. So, but it was it was down to the, I suppose, and then the, the TV chefs and that were starting to use like, like bell peppers. Like when I was a kid growing up, my like my mother worked in the trade. She was in the fruit and veg market, had, had her own business in there, and you know, when I was growing up, like she didn't even know what a red pepper was. She, she, she obviously thought it was a chili pepper. Yeah. You know, she no feed away from that burn the mouth yeah. off you. Just say when you you be kid, you know. Yeah, and it, um, yeah, it was it was it was all changing at that time. Um, so so it's it's kind of changing the the the, the whole. Um, but then trends come and go, you know. And say twenty five years ago, um, I know the Lola Rosa lettuce was a very trendy lettuce, and um, iceberg yeah. lettuce, and then it moved into the, like the frise, and now you have I grow nothing but gem yeah. lettuce. Gem is brilliant. It's the only. Yeah, it's a, it ticks a lot of boxes. I don't do any of the coloured lettuce. I don't do any of the red salad bowls. I don't do any green salad bowls. I don't do any oak leaves. Yeah. I find I, I find oak leaf and particularly lollarossa, they're very tricky to grow, I think. And what I find with them as well is there's so many because of the, the curly leaves. And this, uh, the, they have a curly leaf, but they're still quite loose. So I think there's so many places for particularly aphids to hide on them. 
and I think that I think they're I think they're tricky enough to grow a lot of rasa um, and oak leaf. I know what you mean. Yeah, like 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 back in the early nineties, like I was out in the Iron Islands, and and the 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 main lettuce I was growing for the restaurants out there. I was out living on the islands for a couple of years and growing for the restaurants. It was very much a captive market. Was the was the red lalarosso and the re- green lalo biondi, yeah. and they were used for the seafood salads. Um, you know, the when the lobster come in or the pollock or the the crab crab claws. Um, they were the most popular. The, there were the most popular lettuce, and then I do a small little bit of what I had maybe for the local shop. But then I was going out with a girl from California, and she was when she'd go home, she'd send over seeds, and there were the seeds of rocket. And the, so the first time I tried rocket was 1995, and then we started doing salad mixes back then, um, before anyone was doing salad mixes, or were quite unusual yeah. at the time. Um, so we were supplying the salad mix into the restaurants and then the salad mix it just took off and the restaurateurs were going for more for salad mix rather than the, the head lettuce but then when i left the island then the local restaurateurs went to the 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 wholesalers in galway and asked for salad leaves and the <laughs> restaurateurs in galway were like what's what, that? what are you what, so, what what's yeah, that yeah. So, so we were very even though we were way out in the iron islands we were very much Myself and the girlfriend at the time were very much ahead of our time because this thing was just starting or had started in California in a big, big yeah. way. And um, I was getting the seeds from jo- Johnny's Select Seed oh, Johnny's, in, yeah. in, um, in, in Maine. And um, then I got the catalogue. She sent over the catalogue and then we were ordering straight from America. And so, but I didn't, I don't do a lot of salad leaves now. I, I kind of feel slightly overdone possibly, you know, Um and you have to have a very, very good, good market for them because they come in and go over very yeah, quickly. Yeah. I'd imagine they'd, so, they'd, they'd be critically important for some of the the kitchen gardens for the likes of the Green Barn restaurant that you're doing. Salad leaves are critically important there, I guess. Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very popular. And they're like, the, 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 as they call them, spicy leaves. You, you photograph on my Instagram yeah. feed. But they're very popular. And also in the Green Barn, the only lettuce we do is the is the jam lettuce okay because if we're looking for color we get the color in the in the white or the yellow beetroots um are we yeah we 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 get the color in the veg the tomatoes or the, the yellow squashes or whatever so i tend we, we tend to well i tell a lot of my clients if you can cut the thing back to maybe five or six veg if you're starting out because um we can all get carried away with the selection the seed the colorful seed catalogs like the veggie porn and before you know it you've got 25 30 different types of veg and then if you're not organized then enough you it's difficult to keep the continuity of supply going into your restaurant or even your home if you're if you're if you're kind of doing if you're doing too much variety and um Oh, well, they would. you're not doing any volume. You know what I mean? So yeah, that makes sense, and just it, it, it would translate back for for a gardener as well. Like that makes total sense because it is so easy. Guilty of it myself at times, where you see a seed catalog or whatever, and you you buy way too much, and it's it's very hard to manage it all. But effectively, as you said, if you could if you could pick, you know, three or four your your mixed salad leaves, beetroot, uh, spring onions for me anyway. And it- if you can bring your tomato varieties down to maybe it's a bit different for a household because it's a bit of fun but if i know for a restaurant if you bring your tomato varieties down to 
maybe less less than four. Yeah. Um, it's like the, the I know in the green barn and here at home, I, I I brought it down to two or three because you know what happens. You served on a plate, and the customer says, "Can I have more of them?" I says, "Well, I don't have any more of them. That type, but I can give you this other yeah. type." And I said, "Well, I really want yeah, that." Yeah. <laughs> that flavored one. So the t- the tomato is a perfect example of that. Oh God, I I've done it more times where you just get carried away with varieties, and then when you find one that you really like, then you don't have enough of it to to to, to make a serious impact into the restaurant yeah. because you, it's there today and gone tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. But but kind of getting back to my earlier point, John, the we we shouldn't lose sight of. Our, our our own um, food culture, the little bit of food culture we have in this country, and um, because I know a lot of people are looking towards Italy and looking to the Mediterranean for inspiration, um, like you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't forget about our own um, food heritage or food culture. That's and uh, and, uh, and you're talking you're you talking know, about like, things here like you know your your cabbage and your. Your uh, Swede, I guess, again, that, that type of thing. So, 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 yeah, like Swede, the likes of parsnip, or parsnip, or like bay of it, or roasted parsnip. Yeah. But soy sauce and honey, it's, um, it's a fan- fantastic. Like, we shouldn't, like, sometimes when I'm talking to customers, they say, oh, oh, meat and two veg, oh, that's my, that's my mother's cooking, that's my granny's cooking, and they're almost looking down their noses yeah. at first. Like you know what I mean? They 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 say they want the Cabo Nero, and all is this kale, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they they want the the um this other stuff, and they're looking towards like are the Italians looking to Ireland for inspiration? Probably not. Um, so we shouldn't we 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 shouldn't forget about um. I was talking to one food 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 critic or working in the food scene in Ireland, and he was saying, "Oh, we need to." We, we need to move on from that and, and we need to well it says well the, the horse is bolted that has happened back in the 19 it started back in 1983 with with foreign travel and uh you know like the so tv chefs you know tv chefs do their bit but i feel they could be doing more for, like promoting irish produce uh like like traditional native irish produce so and um, do you find then say dealing with the with the restaurants are they are they looking elsewhere or would you be encouraging them to actually still look at the, the sort of heritage vegetables that we'd have here? I'd be encouraging them to look at the heritage veg, but I, I've decided I'm not going to, I'm not going to go against the trend any longer. If that's what they want, that's yeah, where I'll go. Yeah. So, um, I don't grow parsnips. I don't grow Swedes. Um, I'm kind of, the only reason I keep growing cabbage is because my parents, uh, like we had a cabbage business, it was just through education and paid all the bills. It, like my mother had a had a bank in the fruit and veg market, and it was the only. She basically did six hundred dozen of cabbage of a Friday morning, and maybe two hundred then of a Saturday morning. And um, as I say, they went out in lots of twenty, twenty-five, thirty in shops around Dublin, Crumlin, Kimmage, uh, Cabra, you know, all around the Dublin suburbs, and then. Some of the cabbage went out into country lorries then heading, heading to the four corners of Ireland. So, but that kind of changed. It changed very quickly around 19, start around in the early 1980s. And then my, my father gave up growing then um, in the mid 1980s. Um, he didn't diversify like a lot of other growers. They moved into like some new, like we call them new vegetables now, like broccoli yeah. was unheard of in. I believe I was researching there recently. They were just used for I, I, there was one canning company um, were, were were growing it for for processing, 
but a broccoli was unheard of. It was a new vegetable in nineteen eighty. Yeah, bad, isn't it? And the likes, of, yeah, isn't that the likes of courgettes? Where, where, like, we never had courgettes growing up. Even the likes of leeks were quite rare. Um, they become quite popular now. But as I say, um, we shouldn't because you you wouldn't get the Italians of these other countries like kind of ditching their own their own native veg. They have a lot of pride in their food culture. And do you think the key to that then is that that the chefs need to, I suppose, get a bit more creative with the with the sort of everyday veg that we're or the traditional veg, the heritage veg. They need to get a bit more creative with it. That and that then in turn sort of creates the creates the consumer demand. I guess. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and once they once they. Like once they are creative and think outside the box a bit, um, the I, I know there's different chefs up in the Green Barn here, and they can be very creative. Like then we do char grilled cavalier, like the likes of the Nero leaves, and um, using the flowers of courgettes and and that. But then they also um, can char grill, you know, the hispy cabbage. So there's another way of doing it. You do the hispy cabbage in the in the wood oven or on the char grill. Oh, that sounds nice now because hispy cabbage is basically like it's like the greyhound cabbage. It's just a pointy, white-headed cabbage. Yeah, it's a, basically your cabbage, and they're finding new ways of like new ways of yeah. using it. And uh, I was thinking of another. Um, yeah, it's become it as far as I know, it became a bit of a trend there recently. The the char grilled uh, pointed pointed hispy or cabbage yeah so, sounds nice yeah so and even like parsnip done in the oven with soy sauce and honey are are quite nice and you know i love an irish stew coming into winter time i suppose the reason why food tastes have changed a bit is because the people are doing less physical manual work um yeah like they're doing less physical work now than were years ago and i suppose that's the reason one of the reasons i like a good heavy hearty bowl of stew or even Dublin coddle I, <laughs> I like it doesn't look that appetizing Dublin coddle um, but when people try it um, it's like especially tourists coming come to Dublin like they, they very often they try Dublin coddle and it's it becomes a bit of a hit well I've never know? had coddle but the, would you, I suppose I'm I'm well I actually don't live that far from a toy but I've I've seen obviously coddle on, on some Dublin menus but I've never had it because it wouldn't have been well, in our house, it wouldn't have been, uh, I suppose, a, a traditional thing back when I was growing up. So I, I would never have had coddle. Um, oh, you should. You should try it. It's, it's really, it's, it's an amazing flavour. And the good thing about it is you're not getting, it's not like fried. Uh, it's not like a, an, an Irish fry where you have a lot of grease in yeah. that or unless you're doing the oven. It's, 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 it's basically done in the pot. And um, like my mother would use tomatoes. She, she generally didn't put carrots in. I know some people use carrots. But it, it was like a rasher sausage, potatoes, uh, tomatoes, and then par- parsley and thyme. Um, but I know when you're working on the land, you're doing physical work like I am doing. Uh, this is the kind of food you go for uh, uh, coming into this time. Yeah, of something substantial and something hearty then as well. It, it needs to be hearty rather than like the salad has its place, obviously. Yeah. But uh, if you were up. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and it needs to be warming. It's warm. I'd be, I'd be big into the the kind of thermal qualities of food, you know this um I can't know the name but 
But you know, in the, in the summertime, you're going for more salads, more cooling, lighter yeah. foods. And then in the wintertime, you're going for more grounding, heavier, warming foods. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it just, and it just keeps you more grounded also. Like it, it affects your, your physical, physical, emotional health, you know. That's an interesting, that's Whereas, an interesting connection. And actually, I started listening to an audio book about grounding actually only the other day, which is interesting. But, uh, and I didn't, or I haven't come across the connection between food and grounding as such. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd have, I'd have a big, I, I'd be a big fan of that. You know, the way, like, like, you know, the way a sweet turnip, you know, it's taking all the energy from the sun during the growing season into the leaves. And then, then coming into this winter, it goes, or sorry, into this time of year, all the energy is grown underground. So basically, all that that heat and goodness is, is gone into the bulb yeah, for, so for you to eat. It's very, it's very, yeah, so it's very warming and, and and grounding. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, it's kind of what you should be eating at this time of year. If that's what the nature, that's what the surrounding countryside is providing you with. Um, that's most suited to your your needs at that particular time of year. So that's, you're you're really talking about seasonal and regional. Um, vegetables then you know as opposed to like salad leaves are not are, they'll be on every menu in the country obviously but they're not I suppose what we're, we're genetically yeah. hardwired to need at that time but then I guess I suppose we have probably have, as you said there's less manual labour and stuff too so it probably has shifted has it it's, it's lighter food and then you have central yeah. heating in, in houses and offices but you know if you look at the names they are are, are nice originate in japan you know mizuna uh, tatsoi yeah. <laughs> they're from the far yeah, east yeah. But, but they probably go as we were saying earlier they're probably because they're brassicas they grow better here in ireland maybe in the countries than they are, uh, originate from um but the as i say because the lifestyles have changed and convenience and, and as we were saying there's less physical work and central heating um People are going for lighter foods. They're definitely going for lighter foods, and the farmers need to change. But as I was saying earlier, we shouldn't, we shouldn't dish. Um, excuse the pun. We shouldn't forget <laughs> about the. Um, we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. as regards our own native produce. You know, I grew up with my my my, my father, my grandfather, uh, past generations grew the, the these native vegetables, and uh, that's a very good point you made, John. Of coming up with new new ways of using them, new recipes. Yeah. Like like TV chefs coming on the on the television even showing how to show, showing the youngsters how to how to cook a traditional head of cabbage and then maybe coming up with other recipes and say, hey, why not try stir fry cabbage? That was the one I was thinking earlier. Or the like you could stir fry the cabbage or you could do a coleslaw or you could do a char grilled. You could do a hispy pointed your cabbage char grilled which um, brings out an, an entirely different flavour. I know in the Green Barn now there's a dish on at the moment, actually. It's on for another, it's on till the end of October because we have jam lettuce until, we always have it from, say, the 10th of May, early May, right through to Halloween. That's a, that's a and, brilliant stretch, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a really, and this is outdoor, and I, I know the customers and, and clients in the restaurant say, oh, the outdoor lettuce tastes much nicer than the indoor. But they're doing a char grilled, they're doing char grilled jam lettuce. Um, they're doing a char grilled jam lettuce salad over nice. there at the moment with, with a kind of a mayonnaise or ole, um, um, kind of mayonnaise. 
But um, the flavour of it is something else, you know. Um, the char grilling at the hearts, the heart of the yeah, lettuce. That that sounds um, that sounds gorgeous. And again, as you said, people wouldn't necessarily think of doing that. So it's it's good that there is, you know, some people trying new things with with these vegetables. Yeah, no, it's good. And then maybe, if, as I say, if, if if some of the chefs came on the television and kind of gave a little bit of a slant on which I, I'm sure a lot of them are doing at the moment, um, picking a very basic vegetable and keeping it very simple and say, have you ever considered doing it in a certain way, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, it's interesting the way um, tastes have changed and the, the, the style of vegetables like lettuce, you know, as I say, when I was growing up, it was it was little jam lettuce. Sorry, it was butterhead lettuce. And then we had the iceberg lettuce. Yeah. I still grow butterhead, and I I love butterhead lettuce. And I grew I grew one this year called Analia, and it was, I would say, one of the best I've ever grown. It was super, um, really good variety, and the taste was just. I know what you mean. And did it have a heart? Did, did it, uh, was it no, no. Well, it had a heart. It had it had a heart, but it was really loose. Oh. It wasn't. It wasn't like a tight. Yeah, a tight, like it wasn't uh, like the one I used to grow variety called Suzanne and Cl- Clarion. A uh, little bit like Suzanne, I would oh, say. Only... <laughs> yeah. Well, I I've never grown Suzanne, but I I know Suzanne because I used to work on a vegetable farm myself years ago, so I do know Suzanne. But oh, it, right, yeah. it, the analia was actually quite a bit wider. It, it ended up a bigger head, uh, and and looser in the middle. But the taste was unbelievable. I know, um, I know what you mean. I'm I'm trying to get the chefs. I'm I was trying to get the lads over in the green barn to to try because I have a feeling um, which. A lot of trends usually come come around, come full circle. Um, we we had a chef of Mingna, Gil Meller, head chef from River Cottage. Uh, oh, I know. I, I, I watched River Cottage. So Gil was over, was he? He was over to Green Barn, and uh, like the butterhead lettuce is one of his all-time favourites. So yeah. I'm I introduced the butterhead there to the Green Barn about two years ago. Um, but it kind of is a bit of an interest in it. I might try it again this coming year. But yeah. um, if you get a really good variety, like you like you mentioned, um, it's a really nice lettuce. You know, it used to be used to be used in the prawn cocktail, I believe. And lovely. If you, I, well, I personally like the one with a really, really good heart in it. Yeah. You know, you get the, the buttery, crunchy leaves in the center. Um, but uh, and another one we tried this year was the the old school cost lettuce. Yeah, another good one. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, you know the the proper cost that's used in the Caesar salad. Yeah. You know the full size. You know the baby jam is a is a version, I suppose, of a cost. But the uh, initially they didn't they didn't they thought it was too rough, a bit coarse, and that. And then then James James Fennell came back to me and he says, "Oh, I kind of like the flavour of that cost. It kind of it's, when I actually tried it the second time, I so we're going to try it again next year." to see um just to see but the the jam really the little jam that really ticks all the boxes yeah definitely yeah and, and i i grow that to sell um well i give you the like give give your your listeners an idea where i sell my products absolutely yeah tell, tell us where you can where you can find roundwood stores there in roundwood it's roundwood in wicklow um, roundwood in wicklow it's um roundwood stores and artisan food food shop and I've just started supplying Doyle's in Ballymore Eustace. Very good. 
Um, and that's another um, shop where they do takeaway foods and good coffees and olive oils and cheeses and sardines. and So again, artisan type food. I kind of artisan food. Um, kind of, as we're saying, kind of not your typical traditional Irish. Uh, well, they do porridge oats, which is great. Yeah. They they do the Ballymore Organics um, porridge oats, and they do. I suppose they do the the breads, the um, sourdough breads, and possibly sold the breads. And then the other place I supply is I supply into Harvest Day. So Harvest Day is a large box scheme, and they're online. And the good thing about Harvest Day is they they sell nothing but Irish produce. So that's a CSA scheme. So someone signs up and to get their weekly delivery or monthly delivery, whatever it is. Yeah, they can do a weekly or they can do a every second week. Yeah. And um, and you know exactly what you're getting when you're each week. So they have the list of the vegetables and they have the list of the grower, and um, so you know what you're what you're paying for. And then if you want to stop it for a week or two, you can do that if you're going on holidays. Or, Very good. Well, yeah. it's all done online and. Uh, and the really great advantage is during during the hungry gap time, it's still our large produce. Like it's not like oh we get a pallet of organic tomatoes in from um from 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 Holland or we we get a pallet of carrots in from it's all Irish yeah. Irish grown produce. And of course it's going to be seasonal as well because it's all Irish grown. So you're not going to be you know you're going to get exactly what's grown in Ireland at that time. You know, at that time of year, and as we were saying earlier, it's it's really good for the body if you're eating what's in season. Yeah, it's typically what the um, body wants. Yeah, it should be. It should be. Yeah, it, it's 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 kind of what the body what the body wants. You know, this time of year we're coming to more root crops. During the summer, it's lighter lighter foods, uh, warmer weather, lighter foods. Then we're getting into heavier foods, more grounding foods, more roots, and uh, it's just and then the general public. That's exactly what they're what they're calling for. Yeah, yeah, they're getting local. You know, there's, there's less food miles. It's more sustainable. Yeah, it makes total sense. Then I supply a restaurant in Dublin called Variety Jones, and that's a Michelin style restaurant. And he pops out. Um, he pops out to the farm himself and picks picks up the veg. Uh, so that's a nice connection to have with that restaurant in Dublin. Anyway, uh, Dermot, as we start to round off again, just to recap what people can grow at this time of the year. So it's the it's the winter winter leaves, winter spinach. Um, well, the, no, it might you know. be a bit late for... You could try a few. You could try a few leaves, but the the, the ones I'm growing at the moment here, personally on the farm, are I'm yep. going to do overwintering onions. Um, overwintering onions. And I'm doing... Um, broad beans, Broad beans and garlic. Yeah. Yeah. And for me personally, garlic is much better, you know, planted at this time of the year, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. For me here, anyway, definitely if I do it in November time, I'll get next to no bolting. But if I do it in the springtime, I tend to get bolting here where I am. So um, definitely, I think that's the best time of the year for, for doing it. And, 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 and also you get a bigger, you get a bigger bulb, you get a better quality. Yeah. Um, well, you basically get a bigger bulb because you have a longer growing season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in the autumn. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll have to get over. You're not that far away, so I'll have to get over to, ha- to have a visit sometime. Um, 
very familiar with with the green barn and and see the see the vegetables like the the actual veg garden or at least some of it is right along the main road so i regularly see what's happening oh, there and the, and the, ver- so you, the various stages yeah of it. so you keep an eye as you're passing you can see the, yeah the, yeah you see the changes so, in the weeds yeah well you see you see the crops that they're that they're at and um yeah it's it's always interesting there and there's always always something going on in the in the in the plot there well that's good to hear um, and you, were you in for were you in for lunch or in for a coffee or have you been in? I've been in a couple of times for lunch, actually, but not not recently. It's about, I'd say it's about two years since I was there. Well, obviously, the last two years have been pretty much a write-off. And yeah, oh, you must call in. Another, we have but... an amazing chef there, and uh, um, uh, he's very creative. And as I say, he's doing really interesting stuff like char-grilled, um, char-grilled gem lettuce and, you know, stir-frying yeah, the, the food, cabbage. The food is brilliant over there, I have to say. Yeah, no, it's really, it's... It's it's really really popular, and it's one of the few restaurants that's growing all its own produce. You know. Yeah, he, every, everything is growing. All the veggies. Yeah, growing between outside, the the wall garden there, and then we have the field. So we've two acres on the production, but then, like we're doing five between five and six hundred covers a week. Yeah, that's right. And it's a hundred seater restaurant, and that's see as you probably know, John yourself, it's easy to grow in the summertime and have a good supply. As we were saying earlier, especially if you've been tunnel in July, August, September, these months. But if you're doing a continuity of supply over 12 months, that's when it gets a bit tricky. But it can yeah. be done. We do it in the Green Barn. And also we can have beetroot for 10 months of the year. Yeah, that's that's another one that, that people should be growing uh, more of. Because, they, again, they, they sow it once a year, get one harvest off it. But you can literally harvest beetroot for as you said, ten months of the year. Here's an, and here's an interesting one. If you do, if you do at least three sowings, do your first sowing in trays back in okay. um, March, er, early March, and then then do an outdoor sowing a little over a month later. So yeah. do at least three sowings at least a month apart. And I do my last sowing of beetroot um, very often the last week of July. Say mid 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 July would be a good time. Yeah. To do the last sowing of beetroot, and you, you just, and then, so I leave it in the ground. I, I roll straw over it. When the coming into this time of year now, when the foliage dies back, I'd roll a bale, a round bale of straw over the beetroot. Yeah. And that protects it from the frost, and I just keep pick picking away at it all winter, and then come yeah. say April, then March, April, when I want to get the field ploughed. I pull up the remaining beetroot and I would store it in crates, a little bit of soil or sand. Yeah. And then that, that keeps us going then until the until the the um until the spring sown beetroot is ready. Probably I guess just a rough guess around June. Yeah. Yeah, so really really somebody at home can can do that uh, with just a small bit of planning that you'd have you'd have beetroot 12 months of the year yeah like like a lot uh, of the crops a lot of even the basket crops i would recommend people so so say a month apart yeah. even the jam lettuce you could sow it a month apart uh the salad leaves are generally sowed every two weeks two weeks apart yeah well, that's what I find actually as well, because if you if you if you look up successional sowing or you read it in any of the gardening books, it nearly always says sow every two weeks, and I find that to a be a bit close. Uh, yeah, especially if, a bit close, definitely. Yeah, no, and then some of them say three weeks, but I, I usually space it out to a month, and and, and yeah. do a, do a decent amount, and um, 
like you have a continuity of supply then um and very often you can sell right up to midsummer 21st of june um so if you start off in say march and do do a couple of trays every month and generally when yeah. i'm planting on my lettuce or planting out my baskets i know it's time to do another sowing um yeah, well more so with the lettuce because it's way. usually a mo- depending on the time of year and the, the stage of growth because obviously it's yeah. it's a lot faster in late spring so i know then i need to get back into the potting shed and sow another batch yeah it, ma- it makes total sense uh uh, Dermot, it's been a really interesting chat. Um, there's lots of really good nuggets of information in there for people. Um, if people haven't checked you out before, they should on Instagram. It's uh, Dermot Carey on Instagram and on Twitter. It's, it's, uh, d- uh, d- sorry, it's d- d- Dermot Dot Carey. Dermot Dot Carey. Uh, the ended up in there for some and, reason. But... And on Twitter, you're you're Dermot Carey Veggie Guy. Um, at, so... at Veggie Guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. On, on, um... And there's really interesting and uh, good tips there. Just uh, it's worth checking out. And as I say, it's been a really interesting chat. And thank you very, very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Uh, thanks again, John. It's been a pleasure. So that's been this week's episode. Really interesting chat. Um, if you haven't, definitely check out uh, Dermot's produce. You'll find them online and so on. He is a spectacular grower. Um, it's interesting that I didn't know the story. I didn't know that... Uh, he originally came from a commercial growing background, but when you see what what he's doing now in these various restaurants around the country and apply that in your own garden, there's lots of really good tips there for, for being able to grow all year round. And I suppose you get to see the variations and, and the varieties and keep an eye on those, those type things. And they're the ones that will, will work for you in your own garden. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with all your gardening friends. And you can find me on the social channels. It's uh, Instagram and Facebook at Master My Garden. That's been this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And I'll tune in next time. Happy gardening. Mm-hmm.